that thing I did for a year, a podcast where we interview fourth year University of Toronto students on experiences they had in a year away from school. My name is Ilya, I'm in fourth year industrial engineering, and I'll be interviewing Abe today. Uh, behind production is Arkadia Hangarovsky, a fourth year engineering science student and the mastermind behind the operation. So today we're talking to Abe. Abe, why don't you introduce yourself? So my name is Abe Ratnovsky. I'm kind of uh, an exception from the intro. I am not a fourth year student at the University of Toronto. Uh, I should be. Um, I did my first three years of university at the University of Toronto. Um, have been friends with Ileana Arcadi through those years. Um, and I'm currently working at a startup in San Francisco. Um, and it's, I'm not back at school, so. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, we'll get into all of that. But first, you're, the, I think, the first person we've had on this podcast who was not in engineering. You're in? Yeah, I'm a computer, or I was a computer science student. Mm -hmm. Uh, I originally came to university for math and physics and decided that I didn't want to be in a lab and I didn't want to do something pure and theoretical. Uh, and I didn't know about computer science really as an option uh, until I came here. So. How did you decide to switch to computer science? Um, I think that the intro classes were more interesting and there was a strong motivation to take the advanced classes. There were like tons of high level 300 and 400 level courses that were super unique, uh, like different from each other, mm -hmm. and things that I knew I wanted to learn at some point. Um, and all of the high-level math and physics classes <laughs> just seemed like overwhelmingly intense, so I wasn't as excited by them, and I, I was really excited to get to those computer science classes. So you switched like really early on, just like first year at some point, you were like, that's my thing. Yeah, I think so. I think I took my first, I think it was in the second semester of first year that I took my first computer science class. I did, I should probably give the disclaimer, I did take two years of computer science in high school. Sure. But um, I actually had teachers that made me never want to do that again. <laughs> so it's kind of weird that I got back to it. Right. You, you thought like, maybe I'll give this another shot and it was just them that sucked. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, want, to, I don't want to talk down about that. Right. They were high school teachers and oh, it was sure. not the same, but I was like, I didn't even think about it as an option. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I see that. So before we get into kind of like the PY experience and like what you've been up to for the past year or so, You've had some pretty interesting summers before then as well. Yeah, you yeah. could say. I, um, I did my first summer, my summer after first year um, at UCLA, the University of California in Los Angeles, um, studying architecture. So I did a summer quarter in architecture that was sort of a, a program to get people who thought they were interested in architecture a little more information on their interest uh, to make them understand whether or not they wanted to apply to actual architecture school. So it was a, a mix of students who were, some who were in undergrad, um, I think a few as old as like late 20s, early 30s, who were all experimenting with architecture for the first time. And I got to do a history class and a studio class and got to like make models and glue stuff. And that was a lot of fun. And then my second summer, summer after second year, I worked at the New York Stock Exchange with a uh, derivatives trading company. So I worked with traders on building some tools uh, to help them in their day-to-day -day trading operations. And I did some mock trading, and I learned about derivatives and more about finance, and it was it was a cool summer. Uh, so you were like the coding guy at a finance firm. I was one of a few. Yeah, I was one of a few coding guys at nice. a very small proprietary trading house. Of yeah, it was it was probably the most chill operation on Wall Street. <laughs> right, that was a good time. So you're going into third year, and then you're starting to think, I want to do PY. Yeah. Why did you think that PY was something you wanted to do? So I knew I wanted to do PY actually from when I applied to U of T. Wow. Um, I, when I was applying to colleges, I really, I actually, I was split between doing math and science um, and doing something design and art related. And that's why I went back for that summer in architecture. Um, but I was really, I found the, the PY program really compelling because the university fees, um, at U of T are quite a bit lower than the other schools I was applying to, and I found out that you could basically pay for college with this one year off. So, so uh, just like for context, you grew up in New York. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's important. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in New York City. Um, my mom was from Canada. I'm a dual citizen. Uh, so U of T was my only non-American school option, mm -hmm. and so my options were to spend a ton of money in a private school in the U.S., um, go to a state school or go to U of T where um, the tuition was lower than state school and I had this option to pay it all off while I was there. So PUI was something that I was interested in from the start. 
Um, and I had been thinking about it through most of second second year, uh, but didn't really know what I wanted to do until I got into the process. Gotcha. So what was that process like? Like, how did you start going about it? Yeah, so I, I started off, I think like most do, uh, with the information sessions, uh, which are just full of students who <laughs> all have different, like, needs and goals and People levels of confidence. Thing. Yeah, and, and don't really know what they want or if they want to do PY. And there was a person from the PY office who was giving a whole speech about what the situation was. And it's a, it's a fairly bureaucratic process of rounds of applications inter and interviews mediated by the university program um, and a university-sponsored job portal mm -hmm. uh, that mediates applications to. It was a very bureaucratic process. Right. So this is the PY portal. This is actually what most people end up using. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah not to criticize it too heavily. Well, right, right, right. right. Worked but, very well for other people. <laughs> uh, of course. Um, but you decided to go another route. Yeah, so I didn't find anything that... No, I found a couple things that I was interested in on the PY portal, but nothing that um, I think became a really good option for me. Um, and uh, like Elias said, I'm from New York City. I'm a dual citizen, so I'm very visa privileged, as I call it. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually just ended up applying for jobs that I found on my own. So I, I had a few companies that I applied to through the portal. Wasn't really excited about my, my options there. So I kind of took matters into my own hands and did uh, applications by hand separately. Um, most, just for context, most students from U of T who are Canadian don't have that option because they need a visa to work in the States for that period of time. Mm -hmm. And um, to get that visa, they have to go through PUI because that registers them as a student. So that's like a legal limitation. Sure. I didn't have that uh, because I have work permission in the US. Does that have to do with the length of the stay? Because you can, you can apply for a summer and that's fine. Yeah. But So like, do you know what that cutoff is? I, I don't, uh, because I, it doesn't matter. Because you, because you don't care, yeah. I, I did feel like I, I had a number of friends who had to figure that out. It's, it's tough because it really limits your options. So I was, I was really lucky to be able to take more of a risk there uh, because I didn't have the, the legal issue of visas looming over me. So how were you finding companies? Um, so I, I guess to, to take a step back, my philosophy for PUI at that point, once I looked through the portal and I wasn't really excited and I knew I wanted to take this time off and I was really dedicated to the, to the academic leave part of it, mm -hmm. um, I kind of did some thinking and realized that this was the best time in my life to take a huge risk mm -hmm. uh, because in the worst case, I go back to school. And that's, you know, that was like pretty good. the plan all along. <laughs> so it's, it's really not that bad to shoot for the moon and fail. and. Maybe the failing part is hard, but at least I'll have something to do. I'll be able to go back to school as a fallback. Mm -hmm. um, so my philosophy was to, to do something really high risk. And, um, and I've always been interested in startups. Uh, so small companies or starting my own company or like, you know, all being able to fit in a conference room. That mm -hmm. sort of tiny company underdog situation was really appealing to me. And I, I figured this was the time to pursue that. So I, I looked for startups mostly through things like AngelList. Um, the resource that worked best for me was Hacker News, mm -hmm. which is a basically a, a Reddit-like site. It's a news aggregator that's run by a company called Y Combinator, which is a considered to be one of the most successful uh, tech startup incubators in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. um, and they run this site where they also run um, monthly hiring posts. So they will make a post that says who's hiring and then companies usually tiny companies will reply and say yeah we're based in these locations and we want these roles and this is what we do mm -hmm. um so most of my job search was looking through those posts there i think that often there are thousands of them and finding companies that i was excited by and wanted to uh i don't know wanted to follow through so i actually set up in band mm -hmm. uh, the band center at ut which is currently the main engineering building, maybe that moves over. But uh, <laughs> I set up and I sent a bunch of cold emails to startups. Um, mm -hmm. Some replied, some didn't. And I ended up starting the interview process with a, a drone startup that had three employees. So I I <laughs> found this one tiny company that interested me and I, I ran with it. So just before we get into that, because this is an amazing story, uh, were you looking specifically for software engineering jobs? 
Yeah, that's that's a good thing to clarify. I mm -hmm. should listen. Um, yeah, I was looking for software engineering jobs, but at companies that were small enough that I would see everything. My goal right. was to be useful to the company as an engineer and let that be my in for learning more about companies of that size and how companies that only have a few people can manage to do business and business operations like sales and marketing and um, customer success while also doing engineering and product development uh, and all that stuff. Like there are more, I really wanted to learn about companies where there are more roles than people uh -huh. and find the people who do those well and uh, I guess watch those companies grow. That was a really motivating thing for me and I figured my in was as a software engineer. You know, I get to be, I get to sit in the room if I'm a software engineer uh -huh. uh, and hopefully contribute to those conversations and be heard. I think that, that software engineering is a really lucky thing to be competent in because mm -hmm. uh, there are very few barriers to being listened to and accepted if you do the engineering part well. Right. I don't know a lot of other jobs that are quite like that. Fair enough. Um, when, I mean, like, like building off that point, how, like, given that you were going into companies that were supposed to be this small and that you were going to be whatever, 25%, 20% of the company, mm -hmm. were you, how were you feeling about your software engineering abilities and your ability to contribute? Um, that's a really good question. I wasn't a super confident software engineer. Mm -hmm. I, to be totally honest, hadn't really been challenged or given ownership of to prove my own competence to myself. Mm -hmm. um, I had a few hobby projects. My classes were going well. I thought I was understanding the material, but I didn't really have something that was like quite at the level of like production code for a company that has customers. Sure. Um, everything I had done was like pretty low stakes or junior. Um, so that was something that I struggled with and I just kind of had to ignore it um, because I knew, I knew I had to prove it at some point and a startup is as good an opportunity as any. You I felt guess. like that, that was your end to prove it. It wasn't that you had to prove it before doing that. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, I, I think so. I mean, startups are, uh, I think a good opportunity to grow as a software engineer because uh -huh. you often just get to write a ton of code and ship it. Uh -huh. So um, I know Mohammed on a previous episode talked about this, but uh, there are very few barriers to you coding every day and shipping it off. Like there are not very many people to say like, no, you need to review this and go through right. uh, more. I mean, it's, it's definitely a useful process, but uh, sometimes just writing a lot of code is what you need to get that confidence. And a startup, I thought at the time, yeah. uh, could provide that. Right. So you mentioned that software engineering was something that you saw as an in. Was that like the dream job after the fact? Like not just for PEY, but like before you went on your kind of like PEY journey, was software engineer or something along that realm like the dream job after the fact? Um, like is it still my well, like, dream job? Beforehand, <laughs> if, if you can, if you can like take your mind back to uh, to like your mindset before PEY, mm -hmm. and I asked you like, what's your dream job? Yeah. Would it? What would it have been? I, I, I was pretty indecisive then. I wanted to become a good software engineer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I wanted my title to be software engineer forever, sure. but I knew that I wanted to be good enough in engineering to be, I think, understood and respected by better engineers. Okay. Um, and I'm definitely still at the stage in my career where I can be an engineer and grow as an engineer, even if it's not my final one day goal. Sure. Uh, there's still a lot of engineering to do, and I am still very excited to do it. So uh, I think my my dream eventual goal is not software engineering, but my my goal over the next few years and this ongoing is to be the best engineer I can be um, for a growing company that has adapting needs. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So bringing it back to your job search, so you found this drone company. Yeah. What attracted you to it? So the company was doing software for drones to do inspections of buildings. Um, so that's like things like roofing. Uh, currently the roofing industry in a lot of cases, uh, like people have to get up on roofs and like stand on the roof of the building and then take a photo of the roof. And <laughs> like people slip and fall and like a lot of people get hurt doing that. It's, they don't end up with good photos. Mm -hmm. It's not a quick process. Like they have to get onto the building. That's a very specific example, but um, this company was trying to solve that problem and similar problems in the construction and insurance industries. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because it related to my interest in architecture and 
it was some something between buildings and technology right. that I, I found really interesting. Um, and also, it was a really small team at an interesting stage. Uh, I respected the founders. It, I mean, I got to fly drones. <laughs> like, it checked enough boxes that I was like, "This is this would be cool. This would okay. be a cool thing to try." Um, I looking, I like saying that out loud now. Uh-huh. Those aren't like awesome reasons to join a company, no, but, but but they're awesome reasons to reach out at least. Yeah, yeah, awesome reasons to reach out. I did. Um, we'll probably talk about this more, but I I talked to them a lot. Uh, and what was initially like interest became more of a dedication uh, over time as I got to know them better so it was like uh, it seemed like a really good opportunity and a good thing to try out gotcha I mean, so let's get into that what was the interview process like for this drone company yeah so it probably started at in peak PUI season so I think it was in the beginning of beginning of November it's probably Around Somewhere two, around there. Around two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I sent a cold email just uh, two doors down from where I am now. Or not two doors, two floors down mm-hmm. from where I am right now. Um, they sent one back that said, cool, uh, can you send us your resume? I was like, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Uh, so I sent them that. Then we had um, two phone interviews. Um, no, three phone interviews? technical interviews and then a that were like shorter phone screen type things like sure just quite a few yeah. phone screens uh then a, a take-home project that took it was, <laughs> took quite a while um <laughs> so like they would ask you hey complete this problem yeah so the, the problem was here's a bunch of uh data from a drone uh visualize it sure um i uh misread the instructions and thought i had to visualize it in 3d mm-hmm. and um so it took a really long time, and then I read it again and realized that 2D would suffice. So I was like really stressed out that night. Uh, and then I had another round of interviews that were more like HR interviews. And then I had a, they flew me out for a day of on-site interviews. And then I got an offer, I think, at the end of February. So it was... That was a three-month um, process. Yeah, it was a long process. Wow. And it was a long process of like... I feel like any, anyone who's had a long interview process, like that was concurrent with other interviews, where it's really hard to like do other interviews when you're you think you're late in late stage interviews for something you're really interested in. Right. And it's really like it's really hard to be dedicated to multiple prospects at once mm-hmm. because you want to give each interview like the most you can, especially for these small companies that are very personal where you don't have a recruiter, you're talking to like the CEO or the CTO and you're like I want to show you that I care a lot uh-huh. but I also really care about these three other things that I can't tell you about <laughs> and it's I mean that with school can be really exhausting so um, in February when I got the offer I was really really excited to sort of have it in with a small company and I'd be moving to San Francisco and I'd like you know be, be going on this adventure this this high risk startup adventure that I was really hoping to, to get out of this the, the time uh, away from school so uh, how were you feeling in the period between when you got the offer and when you left, which was in May, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I finished my, my third year finals in April. Uh, I had a couple weeks to hang around Toronto and New York, and then I flew out. Um, my first day of work was May 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was really excited for it. I, I had like a few... Uh, later calls with the founders. I was feeling good about finding a place and scared for the housing market out there, but excited to just like get out there and figure it out. Um, and yeah, like so, like so it began. <laughs> so you flew out there. What were the first few days like? Um, so I moved out there. I moved into an Airbnb, uh-huh. which is what was just like the low risk, you know, find a place to land before I find a place. Uh, the housing <laughs> market there is like pretty intense like things, things there's really, like san francisco yeah there yeah, is yeah. in san francisco is is uh notably intense fast moving and um pretty risky there are quite a few uh seedy areas places that you wouldn't want to live that you might not know about if you haven't visited so i took some advice to get an airbnb look at the places in person mm-hmm. not exchange any money over <laughs> no wire transfers before uh right. before visiting and then um had a few weeks in the Airbnb, moved into my first apartment. 
couple couple weeks after, maybe late May. Gotcha. Okay. How was the first little bit at work, like adjusting to being one of the few developers? It was good. It was so. It was. Um, it was really exciting to be onboarded to a company that was as small as that company was. Um, to be learning things from the CEO and CTO, who are the people who really have to like go forward and raise the money. Like they're the ones who have to convince investors that they're like worth funding. And so it's it's really exciting to learn about their product and about their technologies right. from them directly. Because um, they're like the inventors, the initial developers, the marketers, the salespeople, everything. They have patents. Mm-hmm. They have academic papers. They right. have they've got clout. And, and these were like pretty qualified dudes. They were super qualified. They they each had a pair of degrees from MIT. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, from the interview process, I could tell that they were like very, very technically capable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great to learn. It was really exciting to learn so much about the company from them directly. Um, it quickly became, once the the honeymoon period ends with something like that, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of convert into this like, oh, whoa, it's my responsibility to actually like contribute to this, <laughs> get code through. Um, they did a they did a great job of onboarding me to start making some code changes. Um, but what ended up happening that I actually didn't know that I, I learned from this experience was that um, the co-founders are very busy. Right. They have, <laughs> they have a lot to do, and as someone who's junior, who's looking to grow as a software engineer, um, they don't always have that much time to teach. And that ended up being, not to foreshadow too much, but that ended up being the the main reason why I had to leave that company. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of running out of, it felt like things to learn um, because it wasn't in the best interest of the founders to spend too much of their time teaching me. Sure. Um, I think that I'm a, I'm, it, it's not, it wasn't a self-teaching issue as much as it was a, like, I think it's natural to have questions about every code base. Okay. And mentorship onto something like a, a three-year code base is, like, a necessary part of being a productive developer. Right. Nobody just intuitively looks at that and says, oh, that's how you make the drone do those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if you can push commits, commits through and make fixes... The rate at which you can do those uh, is really aided by by solid mentorship, and I was starting to get frustrated by how long things were taking me to fix, um, how long it was taking me to, to understand things, and the it, it also goes both ways in that like it's not in the incentive of the founders to make their code base great for onboarding like they don't have you know, code samples and the best right. documentation. Usually they have something they need to get working for a demo. Were you their first external hire? I wasn't. I was their, I think their second or third. Okay. But I was the fourth engineer in the room. Right. Two of those engineers were founders. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So it, the company was just really not set up, like despite the fact that these guys did a great job onboarding you, it wasn't set up for like a smooth transition. It was set up to run for the next thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, one thing that was challenging about it was that because the entire company was technical, um, the three other engineers had a ton of ownership over their product. Right. So, Or each had a ton of ownership over their components. So it was really difficult for me to work with the person who owned the product that I was working on most because that owner was the, C- the CEO. Uh-huh. And so every, everything that comes at the company basically goes to him. And so I was having a really hard time getting the mentorship I needed to grow as a developer on that code base and own more of it myself. Right. I was feeling like I was really working under them and like I wasn't putting out the code that I wanted to put out. Gotcha. Yeah. So how long did you end up staying at this company? Uh, just about three months. Just about three months. Yeah. So at what time between like starting and like those three months did you start thinking, oh, maybe leaving is something I should do? Um, I started, so pretty early on actually. Okay. Uh, I can't say exactly when. Sure. Like I don't know exactly when, <laughs> but um, when I, I do a thing, I think it's just a behavioral thing of mine where uh, if I'm having difficulty with something, I will 
expend myself on it. Uh, so uh-huh. I was starting to work a lot. I was working really late into the night uh, and working weekends, just trying to learn this code base to make valuable changes. And um, I wasn't feeling like I was making the progress that I wanted to make, getting the mentorship I needed, or even getting like a level of like support. Um, things were feeling pretty cutthroat. And uh, I think once I was starting to feel pretty starting to feel burnt down, I took a step back and evaluated my position, the places that I'd like to be working and the, the quality of the code that I'd like to be submitting. And I just felt like I wasn't getting it and I wasn't on a good track mm-hmm. to get that. And so the idea to quit came about naturally from that. Um, one of the other things that was really taxing about this company was that um, in an effort to reduce costs, keep things lean, um, two of the team members worked remotely. So the, the CEO and the other engineer uh, worked out of state. So it was also incredibly lonely. And that was one of uh-huh. the things I think I think that, that was really taxing as well. Like these long hours without a sense of a team when I had just moved to San Francisco and didn't know anyone myself. Right. So it was like, there was a huge emotional difficulty with that level of solidarity. Or no, solitude. Solitude, yeah, yeah. wow. Not solidarity. Um, solitude mm-hmm. and the burnout with the loneliness made it just really like toxic for me mm-hmm. um, so I left around August gotcha spent longer interviewing with them than I did working with them <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, then had a, a, a lovely period of panic in San Francisco of uh, what am I doing here how do I pay rent uh, basically do I stay or do I go uh, and I set myself a deadline, and um, a deadline to find another job. Yeah, a deadline to figure figure out what I was doing, uh, uh-huh. or re-enroll in university. So it because wasn't, it was not yet the end of the summer, so you could feasibly have just said, "Okay, fourth year." Yeah, I still had time to just you know fall back on the perfectly reasonable default and say, you know, we had a good we had a good run summer. Uh, back to school. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I luckily made it in time. What was the deadline? Uh, I think it was the end of August. Okay. Yeah, I think it was. Where may, no, I think it was. I think it was mid September actually. Okay. So I ended up. I quit my job. Uh, at the drone company, I quit, and that same day was my last day. Right. So I had this like very intense, you know, it was really difficult. I think the, one of the most challenging things from last summer was that um, I guess two, now two summers ago um, yeah. was telling my. The, the founders of that company that I wanted to quit. Um, they knew that I had moved out there to work for them yeah. and that I was incredibly dedicated to the company and really wanted it to work out. And I actually, I was like getting sick with the anxiety of quitting that job because I, I also didn't know what I was going to do. Like, right. It, you weren't it, like on degree or pastors. You yeah. Like what pastors? Yeah. I was yeah. like, I could either stay here and get a job that is like worse for me. Sure. Uh, or I'd go back to school and feel like a little bit of a failure. Like, like oh, I didn't sure. get the most out of this opportunity. Um, and, you know, they've got more, uh, <laughs> they've got more experience than I do. Like, you know, maybe I'm just not set up for this. So, so it was really difficult to bring up the idea of quitting. Uh, and it was definitely premature. I, I thought that I was going to be there for 16 months. Um, so once I did that, I kind of had like a week of let's just relax and um, you know, like try to get some exercise and be outside and not think about work. Right. And then I went into full application mode. Um, and ended up applying, not to very many companies because I had one really strong lead um, with my current job. So I can get into how How did that lead come about? Um, so the startup scene in San Francisco is pretty tight. Um, a lot of people switch companies and a lot of companies share spaces and share investors and so I um, basically found a bunch of interesting companies through this co-working space that the drone company worked out of Um, and I really liked a couple of the founders that I met at the space I really liked what they were working on Mm -hmm. and I got to talking to them about what what a job opportunity would look like Um, and at the time, I think there were six people. So it was still like a satisfying small company, still fit the bill. Right, right. But um, 
seemed to not have the I didn't think that I would have the same issues at this company. Did you feel like people would have more time for you? I felt like they would have more time for me. One of the co-founders used to teach. Like, that used helps. to teach software engineering um, and had demonstrated really good mentorship experience. Um, and so I knew that he had my back. Um, and the company was a lot, I think it was more established, had more, you know, its finances were a little healthier. Um, but also was a little more sympathetic, not as cutthroat, um, and just generally, and I think like a sort of an emotionally healthier place for me. Sure. Okay. So you had this lead and then you pursued it. So what did that look like? Yeah. So it actually started, it started before I quit. I spoke to them. I knew I was interested in their company and I wanted to get their advice at first actually before quitting my prior job. I just knew that I wanted to speak to them. I like, wanted to find out more about what they were working on, what their experience was, just to like talk to them more. At, at, at that point, they were a neighboring company that was interesting. Sure. They weren't a, a prospect of mine at all. Um, and I basically set up a deal with them where I said, you know, I, I really want to work for you. They were into the idea, but rightfully suspicious. Uh, because they had only seen me stressed out and uncomfortable and <laughs> unsuccessful at another job. So they, they basically said, you have to quit before we start the interview process with you. Uh, but once you do, you know, we can go through interviews. Sure. And so quit, started interview, interviewing with them, had, I think, two, two interviews and an assignment. Um, it was pretty smooth right and I had a, a job offer in a couple of weeks wow so I made my deadline pretty smoothly that is that is amazing okay yeah. so let's let's talk a little bit about this company so where do you work now and what do they do yeah um, I work at a company called swiftly uh, like the the adverb uh, <laughs> we do analytics for uh, transportation agencies so we're working on a big data platform for public transit systems. Um, that includes real-time information about you know where buses and trains are at the current time and how they're doing according to their schedules, but also historical analysis on uh, which streets and areas of cities are often congested, which stops are too close together. Mm -hmm. um, what, like what makes agencies' schedules bad and how can they improve their service through better analytics on their service? So transit agencies are your customers? Um, so transit agencies are some of our customers. Our other customers are operators. So uh, one thing that's cool about startups is that any industry you're in, you end up learning a lot about right. uh, tangentially. Like even as an engineer, you know, you might work on similar things, but you get to find out the, the ins and outs of that industry. And you were already quite into just generally like architecture of cities or yeah. urban planning. Oh yeah, I'm super yeah. into urban planning. Uh, I've, I've read a bunch of the like architecture required reading. Uh, so Le Corbusier, um, Kevin Lynch, The Image of the City. Like I've, I've like <laughs> read yeah. the urbanism books, and so like transportation planning is, was already super interesting to me. Um, I also grew up in New York City, and then lived in Toronto, and now live in San Francisco. I don't know how to drive. That's like my yeah. my claim to legitimacy for working for a, a transit <laughs> company. But, like I, I literally need it um, every day. Right. Uh, so yeah, we do analytics to help cities plan their transit better. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So three weeks after you quit the old job, you start uh, at another small company in the, uh, I guess, urban and transportation space. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, what were the first few days there like? Yeah. So I, I'll go from, from offer date. So I, sure. I quit my job. I did my interviews. I had a general sense of when I'd hear back. Um, at that point when I, I thought I did well in the interviews, but I didn't, I didn't know. Right. I bought a one-way ticket to Toronto. Uh -huh. um, and I was in Toronto, staying with some family, seeing my friends, but I'm also like not sure when I would come back. Right. I was like, if I don't get this job, like time has run out and yeah. I will enroll in school. And sure. I like was in Toronto to start school. Right. I didn't have like all you of my just would have you would not have come back to San Francisco. I would have gone back to pick up a duffel bag and like, oh, wow. like shuttle it back. Gotcha. I was like 
I don't know if I need to like be on campus to talk to some people, right? And like get this going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in Toronto the last day I was in Toronto. Um, yeah. not, I guess not the, the like the last day. I got my offer in Toronto when I, was, I think I was going to fly back to New York to like see some people. I was like, <laughs> like in in a I was kind of freaked out at that point. Right. I got an offer. I got to like hug my family and tell my friends uh and then i started a couple weeks later in mid-september of 2017 so uh my offer was as as a front-end intern um so just for context front-end means that you're working on the things that people actually interact with yeah so at that point it was uh product development data visualizations things that users would interact with that they would actually like load up in their web browsers and the best part was definitely that data visualizations I got to do like things on maps and stuff like that um, and it was sort of a probationary period trial period uh, for the company because they were like we don't know what this what this kid's deal is uh, we don't want to have him on board if he sucks right that might be a little aggressive but the idea was to be low risk for both of us like if this doesn't work out let's not make it more complicated than it has to be was it short term contract it was three months okay it was yeah. september to december okay and it was like that's enough time to find out right yeah and about a month into that contract two months in they were like yeah we're pretty sure like this we're pretty certain yeah and this is working out you're gonna come back did you have any feelings of like lowered confidence just because of the, the previous experience that you had yeah absolutely like like i was that was worst for me right after I quit and when I was in the middle of applications. Right. Because I couldn't, I didn't have the same confidence I had even coming out of school uh-huh. because all I had was, yeah, I was ambitious like three months ago. Right. And then I just had like a destructive experience and now I feel <laughs> horrible. And I like, you know, I don't want to apply for big companies because that's not really my thing. Uh, you know, maybe I just apply to easier startups like I, I really didn't know what to do right so I think that knowing these founders sort of gave me enough uh, I think traction with them sure to feel the level of trust to feel like the confidence was not a big issue mm-hmm. but confidence like my confidence was totally shot after that yeah how'd you go about getting over that when you knew that this was a trial period I just gave it you know the best I could like I knew my boss, I really liked him. We got along very well. And I asked him to be very honest with me. I think one thing that helped was that he was in the office all the time. Mm-hmm. We had one-on-ones uh, that were a lot more successful than my one-on-ones at the previous company. I think that I really learned a lot about, like, oh, you should probably bring things up with your boss <laughs> sure. when things are not going great. Um, it helped me learn, I think, to be a little more vulnerable with difficulties or anxieties about work especially things like am I putting out good enough code sure. like I need you to tell me if it's not good enough mm-hmm. and how I can improve it because otherwise I'll just be unsure and anxious um, right. so I think I just I got better one on ones it was a better fit for me it was a little like more relaxed in pace I think startups can get very intense especially when you're working mostly with founders because they have kind of their, their lives mm-hmm. their life savings on the line um, so it was a bigger team and I, I think that the pace of things helped me reestablish that confidence and I felt like we were shipping good stuff on time and I felt like you know it it was I think a a matter of momentum Mm -hmm. yeah did your role with the company kind of evolve after they said yeah we're pretty sure about this kid did I roll with the company? Well, did, 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 did you roll? Uh, my bad. Uh, did your role in the company? Oh, my role. Like, like what? What you end up doing? Cause, yeah. Because well, you're somebody with like a decently expensive skill set, right? It's not just about like shipping code. You're quite design minded, and this is also just like an area that you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, yeah. Frontend was a really good place for me to start because I think I've got some breadth, especially on the design side. Uh, so I started as front end. Any company that's that small, like if you don't have teams. You don't really have roles. Like, you all have names. Sure. Like, if everyone has their own role, just call them by their names. Uh-huh. Like, it makes sense maybe to introduce people in the company to, like, other people outside of the company. But, right. Uh, Functionally, you were Abe. Functionally, you were hired yeah, as I was, Abe. I was Abe. I was not, like, uh, front-end, intern, L1, yeah. you know, S3, whatever, like, whatever it could mean. I was, I was Abe. Mm-hmm. And 
that let me grow my skills in accordance to what the company needed. And because the company fit in the conference room, I got to hear what other people were saying and raise my hand and say, can I try, basically? And that, that was really useful to me, I think, in developing my role to be more useful across other parts of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent three months as a front-end intern and then was promoted to full-stack software engineer. Uh, so full-stack just means you're working on every part of the product. Yeah, so yeah. I was working on... Uh, some more of the front end stuff so data visualizations uh, you know I I think a front end is like do you have to deal with colors (laughs) then your front end and then back end is um, server stuff so the stuff that the front end talks to uh, fetching things like fetching the data to display uh, so the back end does the actual like computation of the data to return to the front end so I I gained breadth sort of in that direction uh, and I started working on in, in Node.js, which is like a programming language and environment, uh, on some of our backend stuff. So uh, developing our APIs, which are application programming interface, it's sort of what uh, the, the definition of uh, like an internet service and the contract between the front end and the back end. I worked mm-hmm. on developing that part of our code base, uh, as well as some other other things along the way. I ended up knowing a lot about uh, like quite a quite a depth of our quite a breadth of our different code bases, mm-hmm. and uh, still had a lot of depth on the front end. So I slowly worked on increasing my depth on the back end, and then I'm now in a position where I'm having trying to be useful to everyone. Right. So you're talking about this company where at least initially everybody fit in a conference room. And it was very, it's very similar to the description initially of what you wanted. Yeah. Like at the beginning of PUI. Yeah. Um, so what parts of it were similar to what you thought you would get and what parts surprised you? That's, oh, that's such a good question. It's so hard to answer because what I wanted, I had no idea about. Like I, I like didn't get it. I liked the idea, but I didn't really <laughs> know what it meant. So I, I, I don't know if things were like, different or the same or if I just got to fill out that whole like that whole I like I guess that idea of what a small company is like and what it means to work in a small company mm-hmm. and got to like you know understand the parts that are not so great uh, and figure out where I can grow in sort of supporting a team at that size right so I, I think figuring out the, the a more specific definition of like what a startup is was uh, was the real experience out of it, and understanding how I fit into that and how I can develop as an employee of a small company was really the the gain that I got out of it. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. If that makes sense, it wasn't. No, like, it definitely does. I mean, I I think that I expected more like late night coding sessions with my uh-huh. boss, uh, but he was like, "No, you should like leave at six <laughs> if you can." Right. Uh, so I think that at the very beginning. I was kind of hoping for this like ragtag group of coders Mm -hmm. and then I one of the things that I definitely fleshed out that was different from what I expected was how important it is for a small company that has to move fast to maintain a humanity of things like work-life balance sort of I think a a healthy amount of social structure within a company of that Mm -hmm. size like those are the things that I didn't, I didn't understand as important um, until I was kind of submerged. Right, gotcha. So this company changed significantly in the time that you were there. Like you mentioned that it started at six people. Yeah. What, like, and it has grown since then, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I started, so my interviewing was when it was six people. Uh-huh. Then when I joined, I think it was, I was eight or nine, I was number eight or nine, um, and now we're like twenty something. So that's significant growth. Yeah. What What are some of the cool things that you've gotten to see between now and then, like throughout the process of this company growing? Um. So the cool things, I think, I might be a little bit like uh, one of the sorry one of the things that I, that's really cool to me was moving into a new office. Uh huh. That was like it doesn't re- like it doesn't really matter. 
it's not sure like you don't join a company to move offices uh-huh. but it represented the idea of a startup in growth mm-hmm. and really solidified that like I had joined one that was in a good position mm-hmm. at the right time and that, it, that was I think one of the most satisfying things to like right. go to the office to help set up on a Saturday and see my boss in basketball shorts steam cleaning the carpet <laughs> like like the CTO of a company who had like he was like a very well qualified person who was working on growing a team and becoming a manager and a leader like in basketball shorts kind of back at square one <laughs> doing founder stuff like right. that I think that was one of the most satisfying things as superficial as it is right that felt like felt so good to feel like part of that I just feel like if there were a TV episode or a movie about a, like a startup doing well it yeah. would involve like multiple offices and like yeah. a camera panning from one to the other yeah, yeah. yeah. But definitely it was cool to be in one of those transitions uh-huh. uh, but I think more sort of on the ground uh, changes that I saw as the company grew were mostly process related so it's really easy to keep communication simple when you all fit in a room mm-hmm. and when you all show up to the office every day. Sure. Uh, it's a lot harder to do that when you start to develop the idea of teams and the idea of like process of you know customer research to design iterations. Some designs get scrapped, others move forward to like development prototyping to like the actual process to get something into production when you're a growing team it, the process has to grow with your team um, and so seeing that process growth and the experimentation around that process was by far the most interesting thing uh, of the actual operation of the company so when I was getting started I was getting tickets that were like rough sketches with maybe a couple bullet points Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't work when, when the team grows. Right. Um, so, so basically, like, what I'm hearing here is you're talking about just starting to implement actual processes instead of being yeah. like, yo, a sheet of paper. Yeah, yeah, like, can you do it like this? And then, you know, someone hovering over your computer and saying, like, can we move that thing, like, over there and make it, like, that color? Mm-hmm. Like, those conversations all of a sudden have to be documented and the line of reasoning behind them have to like have a paper trail mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise your other engineer is not going to see them and then that's going to ruin the context for their other project like you right. need to you need to really get good at documenting things it sounds like you like saw kind of like the origin place of busy work you're like yeah. oh this is where it comes from yeah oh i got to see bureaucracy develop right. in the way that it's supposed to uh-huh. like like we were hitting points where it was like I don't know what to work on. I don't know if I should do this or that. We have too many projects and too many people to just be doing this ad hoc. Right. What's the best way we can implement a little bit of rigidity to gain us the structure we need to actually move fast and mm-hmm. not have to communicate every single thing because someone's going to forget something? Um, that was like, and that was really really interesting for me because when you get those process things right. Um, this is something my, my, my boss says a lot is like it's a wind at your back uh-huh. and sometimes you don't get the process right and you need to have a system to diagnose that the process is not right, right for these reasons with these examples of situations where it was a hindrance and make sure you're keeping your overhead low and so this gradual process of evol- of uh, the process of evolving process is like, I, sounds like an MBA book <laughs> um, but it's a really challenging thing to do Mm -hmm. and it has to come from the top in that like actually no it doesn't I disagree with that yeah it has to have strong Mm buy-in people have to be aligned on what the process is and why and like people have to do it right and it can be hard to convince a group of people who've worked like with each other effortlessly in the past in the casual yeah casually by name to start referring to each other by their departments like it just doesn't it doesn't always work smoothly Mm -hmm. and that's still an ongoing thing for us like Mm -hmm. the best way to communicate tasks to be delivered the definition of done when something's ready for design what an experiment is and you know the metrics for success and how we cut it off Mm -hmm. those are 
you know, if we have five people working on a project, they all need to agree on right. what their part of it is. And um, that, I think, so, so that's one, one big part of it, just process, mm -hmm. company process, a growing company process. Mm -hmm. The other one is, at a, at a really small scale, you kind of hire everyone, anyone who you get. Right. Like anyone who's good, who you get along with, who's competent in the right ways, like, and de like dedicated in the right ways, uh, can work for a startup. Sure. Like at the right time. As you begin to figure out your process, you begin to figure out your hiring. And you have to change into this world of like having a real job description for someone. You right. can't have a company of 50 people where you hire someone because they like seem good. Right. Like you need to have a reason to hire them. Mm -hmm. Like not to say that it has to come from budget, but you kind of have to have like, you know, engineering needs three people to do these things. Right. And like that's all dictated by the process. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, you need some way to reflect on whether or not you're ahead or behind on tasks. Sure. You know, whether we need more designers or more engineers. Mm -hmm. And so the process informs the hiring and any flaw in the process then flaws the hiring. And the people you, who are the company. And then you end up with this sort of, like, not to say dilution, but uh, it's easy to lose direction when you're growing gotcha. quickly. Uh, and it's, there are a lot of, it's very personal, mm -hmm. and going from this very personal to sort of mechanical company with momentum, with pro, like ongoing projects and mm -hmm divisions or whatever that I think that's really interesting to me because we're moving out of this like uh, idealistic startup position mm -hmm. into like no we're a company right we have our logo on the wall right. so logo on the wall big win yeah uh, so you're saying we because you are still with the such company you are still working yeah swiftly so when when the second summer started rolling around like the summer after which ostensibly you were to go back to school to complete your fourth year yeah where was your head at and kind of what happened from there yeah that's a that's something that i struggled with for quite a while mm -hmm. i uh i was I had a lot of ambition mm -hmm. going into pui to like get this startup high risk high reward experience because i had such a great fallback mm -hmm. and then it was like wait do i go back to the like is this still a fallback or is this my logical next move? Uh -huh. And in my mind, it was still a fallback. Right. I was still in a position of like, oh, if this goes south, I'll go back to school. And, and it's gone all the way north. <laughs> yeah, it's gone so far north. I mean, like, actually, it's gone south. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone south and really west. It's gone mostly west. <laughs> uh, geographically, geographically, you are on point. So west. <laughs> uh, but I think that at first, I was like, yeah, I'll go back to school. You know, it's a shame to leave this company at this time. But then I realized that I'm still getting so much out of the company. School will be around, and I shouldn't do it on the obligation. Mm -hmm. you know, I shouldn't do it because my parents say so, or my peers say so, or some random person I just met was like, oh, well, you're not at school. Oh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's a bad reason. Right. That for me, I felt. Like, I, like I was in a position that I was so lucky to be in, you know, at a, a quickly growing company mm -hmm. where, you know, as a 22 year old who didn't have a degree, I was really listened to. Right. And I could really help people who were way more qualified than me, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, like get their stuff done. Right. Like that was such a great place to be in. And I felt so grateful for my company to give me that trust. Right. That a big part of it was like, you know, if they're gonna give me that trust and this opportunity, I really should follow through. Mm -hmm. Like I, th I think I owe it to them and myself to like give this as much time like not not let this artificial boundary sure. limit, limit this experience okay gotcha so when did you decide that yes i'm going to be staying on with swiftly and not coming back to school in the fall uh i don't know exactly i did so oh yeah so in july there was a deadline in july that i found out about through calling my, my college at U of T mm -hmm. and the department of computer science about just registration and uh, if I didn't enroll by that date, I basically said, like, what happens? Like, do you drop my credits? Like, yeah. what's the deal? And they were like, no, like, maybe someday you'll have to renegotiate your credits. Sure. But right now you're on academic leave and you're fine. Right. And I think it becomes an issue in, like, three to five years. Sure. If I take that much time off. But for now, I'm good. Right. I, like, there's no difference. That's awesome. And 
classes will be around. Like, right. you know, school will continue to operate. The school's been around for a little while. <laughs> uh, and I'm not... I'm not worried about going back in time. I'm still learning quite a lot. Uh-huh. And I, I think that I got enough schooling done right. to be able to understand papers and new technologies. And you know, I, don't, I don't think I'd be floundering in my classes if I were to go back to them now. Mm-hmm. I'm not like... You're very much practicing a lot of what you would be doing in class. Yeah. I, like, I've actually been able to work on things that could have been school projects. Uh-huh. Like... You know, thank God I know about TCP and raw socket stuff, because yeah. otherwise I wouldn't have been able to fix this thing at work. Right. Uh, and it's been lucky for me, I think, that enough of those things have come up that I've felt satisfaction. Right. I think it's easy to get in a job where you don't get to move through projects. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's great about school is you really get to move through projects, like right. maybe too many. So one of the big reasons for me not go back to school is I felt like I was getting the education that I really wanted from my job and I wasn't losing any progress on the education I already had from school. Uh-huh. So it just like makes sense for you to stay where you are right now, keep growing with it, school will always be around. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it's a little uncomfortable. For sure. Because you have a lot of people saying like Oh my god, are you dropping out? Uh-huh. It's like, and it's got such a negative connotation. It's got a negative. It's well, it's got a negative connotation in some cases, and then in San Francisco, it's like kind of fetishized in this other way. In like, like a Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, like this is what the geniuses do, kind of way. Which is like super unhealthy and flat out wrong. Uh-huh. But I think I've been very lucky with U of T to have a flexible education, public education that's lenient with my time off, and is not like a lot of schools that I know of that where they say like you're either out in five years or you don't get a degree. Right. You know, like. <laughs> thanks, thanks, UT, for yeah. like letting me be in this intermediary state where I actually get to learn a lot and come back with a lot more than I would if I just you know went through it and like you know got up on the other side. I I really firmly believe that like education should be uh, preemptible, mm-hmm. to use an operating systems term, <laughs> and resumed later because it's most meaningful in I think in, in parts. You know, right. there's there's no reason you should have to graduate at a certain time or, you know, have to take a class now. Right. Unless, like, you know, you may want to because some professor is teaching it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But universities really shouldn't be kicking students out right. for taking their time. Right. I, I think that you end up with much better adjusted, well-rounded students if you kind of let them do their own thing and figure their own stuff out. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure you found. Like, as, mm-hmm. like students coming back from PUI are like a different breed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd actually be curious to hear what you think of that like with the uh, ones who've come back. Well, I mean, just from like doing this podcast, I've, a lot of kind of what I've been asking about has been how have you changed? And I've, I mean, not even just from the conversation, I've just noticed from a lot of the people I am spending time with that they are different mm-hmm. and usually, usually in a positive way, usually a little bit more self-assured and with a little bit more perspective mm-hmm. on kind of how the future is rolling forward. Yeah. So I guess just to wrap this up and throw it back to you, um, how do you think you've like changed, grown, and like what does the future look like now that you've had these kind of wild 16 months? Yeah. yeah. I think the main way that I've changed is I've, I've developed a, a sort of a competency confidence that I would not have had through school. Uh, working in school, or like the work that I've had to do for school, has not been the type of work that I really excel at in a way that I think others recognize. Sure. Like my, my grades aren't awesome. Uh, I really like my classes and I'm really interested in the material, but mm-hmm. I was never the type of person to be crushing problem sets. Sure. And so to leave school and really prove myself outside of school, and sure. really be challenged and be able to, you know, come with, come up with real solutions to real things and mm-hmm. them actually work, uh, <laughs> I think has, has had me develop a confidence I would not have had if I stayed in school. And I've developed a perspective, I think also for jobs that are not so great. Right. Uh, you know, I did, I'm like, pretty sunshine and roses now but I was in a really like I was having a lot of difficulty in my last Mm -hmm. job and I 
you know, kind of was able to get both sides out of it. And I was able to get that middle part of, whoa, what am I doing with my life? Right. And to come out of that and feel like relatively good, I think I feel um, a lot more resilient and a lot more confident than if I had just gone through with my last year. Plus, now I get to come back to U of T mm -hmm. and we bought a new building. Right. You know? Just for you. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's my building. It's your building. They made it for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank God the construction took an extra year. Uh, right. So that you get to see it. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Abe, thank you for talking. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah. This has been That Thing I Did for a Year. We'll see you next time.